and I'm just going to dive into this. Let's go ahead and open with prayer. So, Lord, we just thank you so much for your word. How many of you guys love the word of God? Lord, we love your word. We're thankful for the word. And, Lord, as we get into this tonight, we just enter your gates. We thank you for praise. We thank you for your provision. We thank you for your presence here. And as we, we come before you, uh, thank you, Lord, by the Holy Spirit for speaking through me. Everything needs to be spoken in your precious Holy Spirit, moving upon everybody that's going to be hearing this or watching this, that we give you our best ear, our full attention, our focus to be good soil. By the Holy Spirit, we're prepared, we're locked in, we're focused, we're not distracted, but our minds are, are tuned in to what you're showing us. Our, our hearts are open and receptive by the Holy Spirit to what you're wanting to do in us. I thank you, Lord, for uh, preparing us now. And as you speak to me, everything needs to be spoken. Let it be sown into good soil, watered by the Spirit, take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes. I thank you by the wind of your Spirit, carrying this everywhere it needs to go. And we stand on the promise it will not return void, but accomplish that which you sent forth to do. And we know the birds try to steal seeds. So, Lord, we submit this unto you. We resist the devil. We must flee. We bind anything right now that would try to hinder this word. We commit to be bound and leave right now in Jesus' name. And I thank you, Lord, for your angels just clearing away every hindrance. And, Lord, again, we state the promise of God. Your word will not return void. It will go forth and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. We thank you for it. We expect it for everything to be spoken through this time that your will to be done in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I've been moving into a series from moving from curse to blessing. I'm only on part two of that particular series. And I want to deal tonight kind of dovetailing from last week's sermon, which had to do with an ancient path. And so I'm kind of carrying on from that. But Jesus has got to be the standard. And what a lot of people may not know what I mean, if you didn't hear last week's sermon, is during battle, if um, a military group had, was going into a situation where they were being defeated, overrun, the commander would order the, the young man that had a standard, some kind of a flag, some kind of an emblem that he would hold up. And everybody, wherever they'd been scattered, all the confusion and chaos of war, they could see that standard they could run to it, and they could rally and regroup. Once they regroup, they can assess themselves quickly and then move back into battle, reinforcing uh, their position. So the standard is what we've got to make Jesus Christ in our midst, okay? Many times I think that people do it inadvertently. They don't realize they're doing it. But there's so many other things that people are focused on. Many times, groups of people, whether it's called some kind of a fellowship, denomination, whatever, they don't mean to, but they've made their weekly religious ritual, they've made their pet doctrines, their traditions of men, that is their standard that they rally around. And the pro, there's so many problems with that. Where do you begin? But when you make Jesus the standard, and I'm talking about not the, the Jesus maybe that is presented to you, because how many knows that that's not always the true Jesus? I'm talking about the real Jesus, who he is, what the Bible says he is, the Savior, the healer, the deliverer from demonic spirits, the deliverer, the baptizer in the Holy Ghost and with fire, the one who is the head of the church and the soon coming king, the fullness of the Godhead, okay? When we lift him up as who he really is, everybody can rally around that. That's one of the reasons, one of many, probably 50 reasons, but one 
reason that I love the communion table is because no matter what type of background people have, denominationally, whatever, everybody pretty much comes together in unity around the communion table. Have you noticed that? And I think it's a way that we come together to unify, and I think that's pleasing. Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. See, that's where the oil flows, and that's where God commands his blessing. And so if we can lift up Jesus for who he is, and once we begin to look to him for who he is, it produces great faith, doesn't it? That he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it always grieves me. I'm not trying to get uh, in a way that maybe would be divisive. But it has always grieved me, different pet doctrines that diminish who Jesus really is. There's people out there today that talk about Jesus, and, and they'll talk about their belief system as though that God no longer heals. They talk about that there's no longer any tongues or the gifts. Well, Jesus said this in Mark 16, these signs will follow them that believe. How many knows not everybody believes, unfortunately, that they will speak in new tongues. That's the baptism in the Holy Ghost. They will lay hands on the sick that recover. They will drive out demons. So Jesus really is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The problem is, is that people are lifting up their pet doctrines and their religious traditions as the standard. Instead of lifting up Jesus for who he is in his fullness as the standard, and all of us rallying under that, you see. So that's where I'm coming from tonight. If we really want to move into the fullness of leaving the curse and moving into blessings, I'll have to talk about curses and blessings as we go, because I don't think everybody understands that concept in America. But if we really want to move into the fullness of what God has for us, the first thing we've got to do is we've got to put Jesus lifted up and exalted in all of our eyes on him for who he really truly is. And also that he is the head of the church. This is a total foreign concept to most of the church today. Think about what I'm saying. How many places truly humble themselves, the leadership pray, and say, Jesus, what would you want us to do about these decisions? And they wait and they actually hear from the Lord, and then they make decisions on what the Lord actually said to them. You know as well as I do that nine times out of ten, most places don't do that. They just run it like a business. Well, this is financially the right decision. If we advertise, if we do this, they don't consult the Lord. So unfortunately, the Lord is not really truly in his proper headship not because he's not there positionally, but because people don't acknowledge that and submit to it. Hello? So I'm dealing with foundational issues. All right, but I do want to get into this. This is what I want to talk about tonight. And deliverance precedes restoration. River of Life, this message is for you big time. Y'all hear me well. God has a huge, major breakthrough for this ministry. There's coming a day, and I don't believe it's far at all, that there's going to be answered prayers, fulfilled prophecies, major, major breakthrough. And this is the message for River of Life, because there's a restoration that's coming, like a jubilee. 
But here's what we got to understand. Number one, Obadiah 1.17. I want you to see this, but on Mount Zion, there will be those that are delivered. Everybody say delivered. And it will be holy. Everybody say holy. The house of Jacob will possess their property. Everybody say restoration. So this is the process. In this, I'll show you this in multiple places. For there to be the final result where you're believing for major restoration, major answered prayers, this, that's the final result. That's where we're going, and that's on the horizon for River of Life. But for you to get there, you have to understand there's a biblical process. Number one here is that there's got to be holiness. Once holiness is there, then there can be deliverance from the oppressor. Whatever it is, whatever giant is standing in your way, whatever blockage, whatever hindrance, whatever the devil is put there to block you, once holiness is dealt with, then that enemy can flee. There can be a driving away of the enemy. Then once deliverance is complete, then restoration comes. So everybody say this after me. Holiness, then deliverance, then restoration. That is what we're going to have to see in the days to come. See, many times the oppressor came in and has locked things up and he's hindering things. There's another way to say this that I've said many times personally because of our ministry with the deliverance ministry that we operate in at times is this, cancel the legal ground, drive the enemy out. This is the same thing. When you're dealing with holiness, what you're dealing with is a restoration there, if you will, of getting everything right with God your life is lined up with the word, you're living obedient, and you've confessed and repented of things, you've forgiven people, things are right between you and God, then once holiness is established, then you can drive your enemies out. And that's where deliverance comes. And once deliverance comes, then restoration can come. But it has to be in that order. See, people want the restoration. They preach about it. They shout about it. They talk about it. In all these sermons and services, God's going to restore. He's going to do all this. But what they fail to mention is restoration is contingent upon the fact that things are going to be right with you and God. And then you're going to contend with your enemy that's blocking your restoration. Now, Let's look at this. Jesus as the standard, but look at John 12, 31. Jesus said, now judgment is upon the world. He was talking about the cross here. He's saying that now that he's going to the cross, all the judgment is going to come on the cross. And look at what he says. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And if I'm lifted up from the earth, and that's the cross, I'll draw everybody to me. So... Here is the pattern again. Jesus is saying that the judgment came on him on the cross and the ruler of this world cast out, meaning that once we understand that because of the cross, we can get everything right with God. All of our sin can be cleansed. All of our uh, transgressions, our rebellion can be blotted out. 
All the iniquity cleared, the iniquity that bent crooked nature can be taken away. Everything can be right. Our lives can be obedient. And as everything is right, then he says, not only judgment on the cross, all that came on the cross, then he said, the ruler of this world is cast out. Then you can cast out your enemies and they'll flee. But again, Jesus as the standard, Jesus has to be the one that's lifted up and looked to what he did on the cross. So put this in perspective. Remember the story of Moses, where the children of Israel were bitten by these fiery serpents. And the Lord told Moses that you're going to have to put a pole, and on that pole put a bronze serpent. Now we know that for a serpent to be on a pole, there had to be some kind of a crossbar. So in actual fact, it was a cross that was hung up, I'm sure, And on that cross, there was a a bronze serpent, and everybody that looked to the bronze serpent was healed. See, again, you're seeing how the bronze serpent represents Jesus on the cross. If you can get people's focus on the Lord and what he paid for them to have at the cross, then they can get their victory. Too many times people are looking at all these other things, But if you can get their focus on the Lord, off themselves, off their enemies, off the things they're going through, and get their focus on Jesus, who he is, and what he has fulfilled at the cross. And so we cancel legal ground, and then we drive the enemy out. That's where we're at, River of Life. I want you to know that. There are forces of the enemy in this region that are set up against Pentecost, is set up against revival. This is something that, that you know, goes way back before us. This is not something new, but there's things that are set up against the move of God. And the Lord has said to us, River of Life, listen, cancel any legal ground and drive out your enemy, drive out your adversaries. So here's what's about to happen. So, For River of Life, as we continue to press in, there's going to be a deliverance that's going to happen from this warfare, and there's going to be great restoration. Now, let me say this for anybody that's going through this series with us, and they're looking at this going from curse to blessing, and they're wanting to learn about these things. So let me just tell you, there's a basic pattern for all deliverance and all victory in warfare. Number one, you've got to deal with the legal ground. So if you have unforgiveness, if your home's out of order, if there's sin in your life, even generational iniquity, whatever it is, you've got to get that washed away under the blood, repent, get things right with God. And when things are right with the Lord, then you can destroy his works and drive him out. But that legal ground has got to be dealt with. That is the key. And so as I'm going through this series, remember that. There may be something you've got to seek the Lord because a lot of times just going through a questionnaire, that's good. It helps a lot of people. It deals with a lot of things. But there's going to be some things that God's going to have to reveal to you what is your blockage. And it's some kind of a legal permission somewhere that God's going to have to reveal to you how to pray and how to turn that key to unlock that. And once God shows it to you, 
I remember here, I could give so many examples, it's unbelievable. I, won't, I wouldn't even know where to start, but let me just give you maybe one or two. But there was a lady that was battling breast cancer. She went to church, and she was asking the Lord, what do I do here? How do I pray? And she was believing, obviously, for healing, excuse me. And as she was praying about it, the Lord showed her that there was somebody she had unforgiveness toward. She didn't even remember this because it was so far back. It happened years ago. That person came up to her mind. She truly forgave him from her heart. And then on the other side of that, she was totally healed. And so there's so many stories like that that I could tell you. Many people Sandy and I prayed with, and we would take them back to the cross. And judgment came on the cross. Judgment came on the Lord. So as they took all of their sin, all their rebellion against God, all their iniquity, and they repented of it before the Lord and that of their family ancestry, because that's where generational curses come down the line, is people confess that, put it on the cross. Judgment is laid on Christ. All of that is settled on the cross. It's settled by his blood. And once we repent of it, the Bible says he's faithful and just, forgive us from all of our sin, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So once we deal with that legal ground, we forgive people, we get our homes in order, we get our lives right with God, then that legal permission is canceled. So now we have authority to drive the enemy out and destroy his works. How I many knows the Bible says a curse without cause cannot light upon you? So it's, it's presented in Proverbs like a bird that's, that's fluttering around in the air above you. A curse without cause cannot settle on you. But if there's some kind of a legitimate thing there, that curse will try to settle on. But once you deal with that, you can destroy and remove every curse. Jesus paid for our complete deliverance, our complete victory, but we have to deal with it biblically. We've got to deal with it the way the Lord has shown us in Scripture, there must be holiness, then there can be deliverance. Then after deliverance, then after deliverance, understand after, there will be restoration. There was a young lady that this family had come to church, and a man of God was ministering, and she had broken her leg in the same place, back to back several times. It was not normal that this would happen. It was bizarre. I don't remember how many times it was. Because it was in the same spot so many times, the doctor said it would never heal. Now, the minister ministering didn't even know any of that, but as he was ministering, there was a family there. She was a member of the family with a cast on her leg there. And the Lord just simply spoke to him and said, you need to pray for that family because there's a curse that they're dealing with over that family, and I want you to break it. And so after he ministered, he went and talked to them, and they said, yes, we believe there might be something there. Would you pray for us? And as he began to inquire of them, he found out some of the strange things that they had been dealing with, and one of them was this young lady's leg being broken in the same place several times back to back to the point that the doctor said it, it would never heal right because of the, how it had been broken so many times. And he knew that that's a sign of a curse when you have things like that on a family. And there were several other things. It can be chronic health problems, incurable diseases, uh, family destruction, 
uh, financial insufficiency that's just, I mean, uh, chronic. There's just, it's just stubborn. And so there were things that family's dealing with. He said he took authority and broke the curse off that family. And he said that some of them jolted when it, it, was, it was like a physical manifestation when that broke. And then he prayed for that young lady after he broke the curse off and God healed her leg. But he made this statement. Remember what I'm saying. This is so important that you get this. He made a statement. I believe 100% is accurate. He said, I do not believe that leg would have healed unless I broke the curse off her first. Did y'all hear me? There was something that was preventing that leg from healing. Hello? Sometimes people wonder, why have I prayed about something, whether it be a healing or something else, why have I prayed about this? I've fasted about it, and I know God's word, and I know what Jesus paid for, and I'm not seeing the breakthrough. Let me tell you, there's an invisible force that is set up there, and you're going to have to get that cleared away. There's something that is blocking that. Once holiness is established, then deliverance can come. And see, this minister helped that family get things right, then deliverance came, and then restoration after that. Her leg was restored. And you can see this pattern all through the Word of God. I mean, there's so many places to draw from, but let's just talk about a couple that I've been preaching on over the last couple years. Think about Joel chapter 2, the famous scripture chapter about fasting. Israel once again was backslidden. So they're not right with God. Understand that. The nation of Israel had sin in the camp. They were not right. Therefore, because of unrepentant sin, things not being right with God, the enemy came in like, I mean, the Bible described the enemy coming in like locust. And they were, this enemy was, was destroying their crops, destroying, killing all their animals, was plundering Israel, was taking their animals, rather, probably for plunder, burning down houses. It was, it was just widespread destruction causing Israel to have abstract poverty. They were struggling. They were oppressed of the enemy. Why? Because things were not right with God. And the prophet Joel, God uses Joel to be a voice. And Joel begins to speak out as a prophet and say, listen, Israel, if you will call a solemn assembly, gather the people, gather the elders in the land together, call a corporate fast. And as you fast, repent before God. Let even the bride and the bridegroom who were exempt for a year to be alone, let them even come out and join in this fast. Let the little children come. Gather everybody together. Get on your face before God. Let the priest weep between the porch and the altar, meaning before they got to the altar, they were on their face repenting. He said, gather the people, get them together, call a fast, and let's repent of our evil ways before God. And he said, if we will humble ourselves in fasting and will confess and repent of our sin, he said, then 
the Lord will drive away your army that's against you. He will deliver you. See, once holiness is restored, then great deliverance comes. And the Lord said, I will drive away this northern army, this host of locusts that have descended upon you and ate everything up. He says, I will drive them away. So holiness and then deliverance and then after deliverance, understand, everybody say after deliverance. That's so important, not before, after. God says, after I have driven away this army, he said, then I will release the grain and the new wine and the oil again, and I will restore the years the locusts have eaten. He said, I'll give you the former and latter rains, and I'll pour out my spirit. Isn't that awesome? So see, there's something, there's a power in fasting. <clears throat> you see the same thing in Isaiah 58, which David Wilkerson said is the famous passage in the Bible, the chapter, if you want to live in perpetual revival, read Isaiah 58 and apply it to your life. So Isaiah 58 starts out this way. It says, is this not the fast I've chosen for you? And it says that you would basically repent and do right. He said, when you should be abstaining from work to fast, he said, you're just working to make money. And then he goes on to say, you smite with the fist. You're oppressive. You're fighting with one another. Those that are employers, you're, you're beating your men and maidservants and being mean to people. And God says, if you're going to act like that, your prayers and your fasting are not going to be heard. He's saying, repent of your wicked ways. Instead of working, turn away from that. Seek me. Humble yourself. And he said, not only repent of your sin, but he said, give some of your goods to the poor. And he said, if you'll do this, if you'll humble yourself and you'll pray and you'll fast and you'll repent of your wicked ways, and you'll regard the poor. He said, here's what I'll do. He said, I'll destroy the yoke. Everybody say, destroy the yoke. What is the yoke? Bondage. See, when people are under bondage, they're under an oppression. Maybe it's been oppressive against their health. It's been oppressive against them in their soul or their, their emotion area, their mind, their emotions, their soul area. Maybe it's been an oppression that's worked against their marriage or their family relationships, and they see there's something there trying to cause strife. Maybe financially there's been an oppression. They wonder, why is it so hard to make ends meet? But there's something working against them. They know there is. And see, if they'll do what the Bible says to humble themselves in prayer and fasting, humble your soul in prayer, humble your body in fasting, You'll repent of anything that's not right with God, and you'll regard the poor and all that. You'll do what the Bible says do. God says, then you will call unto me, and I will answer you. See, there's a way of going about this. And he says, you'll cry out to me, and you'll say, I'll say, here I am. You'll have God's nearness. So once we deal with the holiness, God says, I will deliver you from the yoke. I will break that off you. And then it goes on beyond that to promise this, the three big promises of Isaiah 58, so awesome. 
Number one, you'll be a well-watered garden that's great perpetual revival. How many want to live in perpetual revival? Number two, your light breaks forth like the dawn, your healing quickly appear. That is God arising with healing in his wings. How many need a breakthrough in your healing, you see? And then number three, that he would restore. God talks about their restoration. I will restore the ancient ruins that have been torn down. So you see the same pattern there, holiness, which means everything is right with God, lined up, it's the way it's supposed to be. That precedes deliverance from the enemy's oppression. Then after deliverance, restoration. So not only are we restored, but Isaiah 58 says God will use us to see many others restored. He'll make us restorers to many. And so River of Life, I believe with all my heart, this is the message for us. That there's been like giants in the land here. There's been stubborn things. But these giants, I promise you, I'm not just saying this in a sermon. I promise you these giants are really about to fall. The battle belongs to the Lord. The enemy is about to flee. This Goliath, his head is about to come off, so to speak. God is about to take down the enemy, and he's going to drive them away. Why? Because there's a group of people that's been willing to pray and fast and humble themselves and get everything right with God. Keep doing that. You know, keep your home in order. Keep repentant. But there's a group of people that's willing to do that. And unfortunately, unfortunately excuse me, that's become increasingly um, uncommon. Un- because of the type of churches that are popular now, repentance is not preached. Sin is not preached against. People, it's replete in many congregations that there's a lot of people there with a lot of unrepentant sin in their life. And therefore, these type of victories cannot be accomplished through that type of group of people. How many knows there's got to be holiness? Then deliverance can come. Once deliverance is complete, then restoration comes. And I believe that we've been going through kind of a narrow way, a tightening, a squeezing. It's, It's been difficult. It's been pressing through. And I would just say to River of Life, I've given you some literature to read on faith. And I would say to River of Life, really develop your faith in the days to come. Stay strong in faith. Be the type of people that calls things that are not as though they were. Speak faith. Don't speak negative. Be careful. Keep your shield of faith up. Be careful what comes out of your mouth. Watch out for self-imposed curses. Sometimes people get upset. They speak all kinds of negative things. They don't realize what they're doing. That's exactly why the devil does that. Whenever he starts working on people is to get their mouth to open up and begin to curse themselves and to speak all this negative stuff because he knows that once they start speaking that way, It gives him a legal permission and an open door. But as long as people are believing in their heart, 
what the Bible says and what God has promised them. And you've got to vocalize that. It's very important that you actually speak to the mountain. You can't just believe it in your heart. You've also got to speak it with your mouth. Please remember that. The Bible says if you say to the mountain to be cast out, it will. But you have to speak it. See, a lot of people may believe something. That's good. But if you really believe it, it's going to start coming out your mouth, and you need to be deliberate about it. And I used to love what Kenneth Hagin said because the Bible says there in that passage, to believe in your heart, it says it once, but it says to speak to the mountain. It says that twice. And Kenneth always said, you're going to have to speak it twice as much as you believe it. And that's true. So be careful with what you speak over yourself, over your family. You may be praying about stuff, and it seems like it's getting worse. That's not necessarily a bad sign. Because when God sent Moses in to deliver Israel, it was time. You understand, it was the fullness of time for Israel to leave Egypt. The 400 years were up. It's time. And God told Moses, go in there and get them out. And as soon as Moses started to do that, everything got worse. Pharaoh started really cracking down on them. They were being beaten much more. They had to do the same amount of work without straw being given to them. They had to gather straw and still do their daily quota. Everything got a lot worse. Why? Because deliverance was at hand. That's why. And the devil knew it, and the devil was trying to, trying to tighten things down on them. Let me tell you, when you start praying about things, don't be surprised if it doesn't seem like it's getting worse. But whatever you do, don't grumble and complain and don't start speaking negative. But rather, what we need to be saying is, Lord, I thank you that you are the God that answers prayers. I thank you that I may not see it, and it may even look worse, but I tell you what, you're moving behind the scenes. This deliverance will be complete, and restoration is coming. See, when you keep speaking that over and over, deliverance is being made complete, restoration is coming, you're doing this, you're doing that, Speaking the word of God, speak scripture, speak faith, it will move mountains. And so let me get to this final thing, this diagram I gave out actually a little while back in River of Life, but I wanted to put this in this sermon. There's a lot of people that follow our ministry that may not know this, and so I want to get this to them. I want you to notice from the bottom to the top. All right, so the first thing, if you want to see major, I'm talking major supernatural turnaround, major answer prayers, number one, from top to bottom, you're going to have to be a people of great humility. So we have to humble ourselves to the ground. If we will humble ourselves before God and be dependent on him, in our humility humbling ourselves, then we live a lifestyle of being faithful in our giving, tithes and offerings, and faithful to consecrate our lives unto God. So whatever is needing to be dealt with, if we need to forgive people, repent of sin, our homes in order, our lives made right, whatever it is we got to do, we get things right with God, we consecrate our lives unto him. So there's humility being givers, consecrating our lives. And once you're living that way, you're living right with God, then you can really become a mighty prayer warrior. 
And how many know those prayer warriors are powerful men and women of God? The Bible says in the book of James in the Amplified Classic, the prayers of the righteous make tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. So there is a prayer of the righteous that is extremely powerful. And as we become prayer warriors, we begin to make lists, we begin to learn, learn how to pray, how to approach God, excuse me, how to approach God, how to be effective in our prayers, then we become an effective weapon of war. And a praying Christian is a powerful Christian. A praying church is a powerful church. So there's an aspect of being prayer warriors. But then there's realms that can only be accessed in fasting. So when you add that dimension of fasting in there, then you're going to start amping up the power and effectiveness of your prayers far greater than what was available before. Prayer could only take you so far. But when you added that dimension of fasting, then more was available to you to access. And finally, to become a great intercessor. A lot of people don't even really know what an intercessor really is. To intercede means to go between. And so when Moses interceded for Israel, God was going to destroy Israel. Moses said, please don't do that. Blot out my name if you got to do that. Remove me. And he interceded for the nation of Israel, and God relented. Same thing with Abraham regarding Sodom. Abraham knew God was going to destroy Sodom, and he was in between. He said, Lord, please don't destroy him if you can just find 10 righteous. And as he prayed that way, God was willing to spare Sodom for 10 righteous because of an intercessor. Same thing with Esther. Esther, the king, Xerxes represents like the Lord. And Esther went as a go-between, an in-between, because Israel was going to be destroyed. And she stood between the king and the destruction as an intercessor and said, have mercy, spare my people. And the king allowed it, you see. So there's an intercession that's got to be there. And that has to do also with the courtroom. When you go up before God as a righteous judge and you approach him the right way, then that's where things can shift in the court's and you can become a very powerful, effective intercessor. And if you know how to be an intercessor, you can affect many people's lives in a very powerful way. But you have to be in this order. You're, you're going to have to be a humble person. Your life of obedience, that's your faith on tithes and offerings. You've consecrated your life. You're not living in sin. You've become a prayer warrior. You become somebody that knows how to fast in, in that dimension of fasting. Then the highest realm you begin to move into is now the type of an intercessor that can actually affect nations, can affect your entire family. Those type of intercessors are very powerful people with God. But you have to, be, you have to kind of grow into that. And I think about Daniel, Daniel chapter 9 how he was an intercessor. He went before the Lord. Lord, I see by the prophet Jeremiah that the 70 years are up. Israel is still in Babylonian captivity. 
we're supposed to be out of here. And he, and he began to intercede. He began to go before God, representing Israel, saying, saying Lord, we have sinned. Uh, we and our fathers have sinned before you. We confess our sin before you. Forgive us. And he was an intercessor. He was a go-between. And because of his intercession, we know the story. God sent angels and moved on the heart of King Cyrus. And Israel was released from Babylonian captivity back to rebuild the second temple, etc. That all can be traced back to this powerful intercessor that shifted kings and nations according to the will of God. Did y'all just hear what I said? A true intercessor with God, like Daniel, can change the course of history. Whenever you hear the statement, history is written by intercessors, that's not just a cliche. But that's more than just being a prayer warrior. That's being in the realm of an intercessor. A prayer warrior is somebody, yes, that knows how to pray. They know how to bind and loose the enemy. They know how to speak blessings and curses where they need to be. They know how to proclaim the word of God. They know how to pray the will of God, etc. But when you start moving into a realm <clears throat> of being an intercessor, that realm can shift things for nations. It's very high calling, very powerful. And a lot of these people, like my daughter that's an intercessor, that is more by the Spirit. That's where the Holy Spirit moves upon them, and they begin to really pray in the Spirit, but that is totally 100% Holy Spirit doing it through them. The groaning and the travailing over souls, even by the Spirit going into the courtroom and praying, but it's the Holy Spirit praying through them. So they're very effective. But even if you don't flow that way per se, you can still be an incredible intercessor because you're a go-between. And an intercessor carries weight with God because they're saying, Lord, forgive us for our sins, even though they themselves are righteous. Like Daniel, Daniel was a righteous man before God, but yet his prayers were, Lord, forgive us for our sins, okay? So this is where I believe that we're at, River of Life. I believe God is taking us, I hope everybody really gets this. I believe God is taking us into the courtroom. It's time, it's time for things to shift in our ministry and in this region, and the courts are gonna shift in our favor, and restoration is about to come. And I believe there's a group of people that believe the word of God, that are united together, and God's really wanting to do something significant. So Lord, we just thank you for your word tonight. We bless you. I thank you, Lord, for everything being accomplished, that your will to be done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.